Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. ABC Ipsos polling. Favorable versus unfavorable opinions of Trump versus Biden. And Trump's favorable rating is 31%. His unfavorable is 56%. So he's underwater by 25%. Joe Biden has an identical 31% favorability rating and a little bit lower unfavorable at 52 versus 56. So he's at 21 percentage points underwater. So two-thirds of Americans want there to be some other choice between these two men. But the primary voters, gonna, those are the ones who are going to decide this. Democrats don't have a choice. Unless somebody, I mean, I think the closest one I saw was Michelle Obama, at, and she's coming in at like 10%, and she's not even interested in the job. <laughs> uh, Kennedy, RFK Jr., um, Mariano, Marianne Williamson, they're, yeah, no. I mean, that's just according to the polls and the trends, and so unless they start making a break, We shall see. Same thing over on the Republican side. You've got DeSantis in second behind Trump by like 30-something points. But again, the the issue here is that Trump and Biden are both known entities. They, they They have the name ID. Everybody knows who they are, right? And I would submit people's opinions of these two men are not going to change between now and the next election. People have an opinion about these guys. They are known entities. And so the question then is, can some can a challenger on the Republican side, and maybe somebody gets in on the Democrat side, I don't know, but can a challenger effectively neutralize that uh, that margin? Can they can they close that gap? And it's uh, and it looks to be like DeSantis at this point, because he's already in the lead, and so it's easier to kind of make up that ground versus coming from like a Tim Scott like five percent, you know. He's got 5% and Trump's at like 40-something percent, whatever. All of these numbers can change. Absolutely. Things can change. I don't know what happens with all of the the indictments, right? Look, because this, this is like, uh, this is the Venn diagram of the two things that I don't predict anymore. I don't predict trial outcomes and I don't predict election outcomes. And so this is both of them at the same time. So I don't know what's going to happen. And anybody that tells you that they know what's going to happen, they're lying to you. And if they're not lying, get some lottery numbers. Pass them over to me. I appreciate it. So you've got DeSantis making his pitch, and he is popular. He's He is popular among Republican primary voters. There is a realignment going on inside both parties. In our, in our entire politics, there's a realignment happening. I mentioned some of it on Friday, where you've got uh, white voters without a college degree, they have now shifted, right? They've now moved over to the GOP side, and the GOP has to figure out how to represent those people's interests. And it is like that voting block is reflected 
in the Donald Trump base. That's that's who he is attractive to. So how are you going to communicate with them and get them to look at somebody other than Trump? Because I hear all the time from Trump supporters that say it's only Trump, like like OnlyFans. It's only Trump. That's it. They're they're in for a person, not a party. I think that's I think that's an error, but it's no more. I think of an error than people who use uh, single issues, a single issue to determine their vote. Because sometimes you don't have you don't have a difference between people or maybe you got just a choice between, you know, two people that don't share your view on that one single issue. Um, I reject the, the, the cult of personality. It, it, it's not anything that I've ever been um, susceptible to. I don't know why. I'm uh, it, it's kind of scary to me when I saw the crowds chanting in unison, Obama, Obama. It's like you get that many people together and they're all chanting one guy's name. Mm. <laughs> like the chance of USA are better because like, OK, USA, I'm, I'm down with that. Like, I, I like America. <laughs> right. So that's a unifying kind of chant. And you're just chanting for some person. That's concerning to me. And yes, Trump has some of that going on too. Trump's got a bit of a cult of personality, right? It's the only Trumpers. And then you got the never Trumpers who would never vote for Donald Trump under any circumstance, although they kind of sort of want him to win. I've noticed that too over the years. There are a lot of people that claim to be never Trump, but are actually only Trump. They're in denial. They're like they're 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 like trans Trump, if you will. They don't identify as an only Trump. <laughs> they identify as never Trump. But they're not. Their paycheck literally depends on Donald Trump continuing his runs. And now there are some people that just loathe Donald Trump, right, with the fire of a million sons, and they want him in prison. They want him to die in prison. There there are those people as well. This may be hard for people to believe. I'm none of those people. I, I do not fit into any of those categories. And I'm not disparaging people who are in any of those categories. You're free to have whatever opinion you want. My only rule on all of this when interacting on these topics, my only rule is don't whiz on my boots and tell me it's raining. That's all, right? Don't gaslight me. That's all. It's, it's, it's a pretty straightforward thing. Like, you can like the candidates you like. You can believe the things you believe. I may have a different opinion. We can have a discussion about that. But don't gaslight me and tell me the things that I know not to be true are true or vice versa. Because I, uh, I don't I don't cotton to that very well. Um, see, and now I ran my mouth too long, so now I can't play the last clip here. from. Uh, so I have one more clip. I will play it after the news break. One more clip from um, the Republican convention from DeSantis. I'll get to that in a minute. But the Republican Party also voted these, uh, the, the activists, the delegates, right? The members, these are grassroots activists. These are the volunteers inside the party. They believe in the Republican Party. They believe in the platform. They believe in the philosophy, right? These are people that are all in. And they voted to censure, not censor, but censure, which is like a reprimand. They voted to censure. The senior U.S. senator from North Carolina, fellow Republican Tom Tillis, the architect of the Republican takeover of the North Carolina General Assembly in 2010. 
but he has tried to he has tried to come to deals on things like red flag gun laws, gay marriage, immigration, and his grassroots activist core base. They're not happy with his approach on some of these items. And so they let him know. And I'm okay with that. I understand the optics of that look bad. Sure. Because you're you're handing... So like one of the questions I always ask is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Right? What was it? Was it worth it on this? You you Okay, yeah. You got to humiliate Tillis to some degree, right? Embarrassment in your face, right? Sending a message. Okay. You also handed ammo to the Democrats. They've been having a field day with this. And they've been noting... That while you gave this rousing round of applause for Trisha Cotham at the convention for becoming a Republican, and remember, she said she left the Democrat Party because they wanted her to vote in lockstep with the party on all of these issues. So on the one hand, you are, you're celebrating this Democrat-turned-Republican. No, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about <laughs> Trisha Cotham. All right, you're celebrating Cotham, but then you turn around and censure Tillis. So do you have purity tests or not, right? And so Democrats obviously take this and they use it to beat you up. So was the juice worth the squeeze on that? Tillis's folks, they come out and they're like, look, he stands by his votes. He works to negotiate deals. He can use that, actually. It's going to benefit him. The censure vote will benefit him in talking to Democrats. Because they're going to be like, this guy crosses his own party. It's helpful to him. That's why I said, like, I was on this morning with the uh, with Beth Troutman on Good Morning BT, and I said I don't I don't see this as having really a lasting impact. Practically speaking, like, what does this result in? Nothing long term, not in my opinion. It's it's embarrassing right now for the party and for Tillis, but after a couple of weeks, I don't think anybody cares. I'll get Tommy on the program. Hello, Tommy. Welcome to the show. How are you? Ah, good, Pete. Love your show, buddy. Thanks, sir. Appreciate you. Um, just just a thought. Uh, my feeling is DeSantis could close that gap in the polling if he would really push his military background, especially with the uh, intelligence community. He would probably close that gap on white non-college voters. Just my thought. By touting the, I get you with the military uh, experience, but uh, you think citing his intelligence um, the work that he did for if, with military intelligence, that that would do it too? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Why is that? Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I was in military intelligence myself years ago. Ah, <laughs> maybe some motivated <laughs> reasoning here. <laughs> well, I, I'm a libertarian, so I had no dog in the fight. Oh, so, I hear you. Yeah, so it's just a thought, and I thought about it, but um, most of the people that I do know most of them are Trump supporters, but they're laying on a fence with DeSantis, but they need something to push them over the edge. And I think that'll do it, which I have changed a couple minds. Just by talking about the military intelligence background. Exactly. Absolutely. So what of the argument that that is proof that he's part of the uh, this new term that I've heard emerge among uh, pro-Trump folks, the uniparty? Mm, well, I believe if he got it out there... There are so many uh, yeah, white, you know, non-college voters or whatever you want to call it. They put a lot of emphasis on military, but when it comes to intelligence and the background, there they'll 
you know, it all comes together where he knows a lot more than what he can actually tell. So he's going to do the right thing for the country no mm. matter what. Interesting. So this is interesting. So there is almost like like there's a deference to him as uh, as not him in this case being DeSantis, but because he comes from military intelligence, you would defer to sort of this uh, this Gnosticism that he knows things that you don't know, but you know he knows them, and so he's doing stuff for this reason that he just can't say. Exactly. Which is honestly, that is the thing that I hear a lot from pro-Trump supporters, right? Like they say Trump is thinking in these other terms. He's seventeen-dimensional chess and whatever, and. They kind of just, well, he knows what he's doing, and they just kind of put their faith in this idea where, and, and with DeSantis being military intelligence, they have a, they actually have something to, to hang their hat on for that. Exactly. That's mm. exactly the way I look at it. Mm. I had not considered that. That is very interesting. Tommy, I appreciate the call. Thank you for your service, too. No, thank yeah, you. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, I, I had not considered that. Huh. Because I could see it being used against him, right? That, oh, yeah, this guy, he was in military intelligence, just like George H.W. Bush, head of the CIA, and so therefore part of neocons, part of uniparty, military-industrial complex, like all of that. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. I don't know how you get around the charge because it doesn't matter whether somebody is or isn't part of the quote unit party or not. It, none of that matters because there's like, there is a, there's a strategy involved. If you want to talk about like multidimensional chess that you, you go inside of a party in order to, to take it over much like the tea party did, right? You go in there, you take it over. Trump did this. You go in there, you take it over and then you get to control the levers of power that already exist, right? The infrastructure that is there. You don't have to build the whole thing yourself. There is a strat. I mean, there is a like truth to that strategy. And anyway, that's a, I'll have to keep an eye on that. Oh, hey, real quick before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Yes, uh, this is a good point. A very good point raised on the Twitter machine by an account called Long Monkeypox, which says that the GOP won elections before Donald Trump and will continue doing so after both he and Ronna McDaniel are gone. I don't know who needs to hear that right now, but if it's you, there you go. They have won before. They can continue to win. It is possible. Okay. Um, let me play this clip because this was the very end of uh, Ron DeSantis's speech at the North Carolina Republican Party convention over the weekend. Uh, I meant to do it all in the one hour last hour, but I uh, ran my mouth uh, too much. And maybe I took a phone call or two. Yes, blame the callers. Um, <laughs> so here is the uh, here's the conclusion. He says um, it's going to take a lot of people 
surrounding leadership, if he wins, right, surrounding him and his cabinet, it's going to take a lot of people that are on board with the mission and are going to put the mission ahead of personal self-interest. He says you got to get people from all over the country to uproot their lives, to come to D.C. to help fix it. And he says that's a noble cause. But the GOP has to win first. That's what has to happen first. None of that happens. None of the things he promises to change and fix, none of that happens if they don't win. And the party has to shake the culture of losing that has infected it in recent years. He talked at length about how there was no massive red wave in 2022, despite all the predictions. He says there is no substitute for victory. But one that I think is incredible that we would be saying that that's not Ron DeSantis. Lies. We're not getting a mulligan on 2024. That's true. We got to get it done. And the Democrats are playing for keeps. If they're able to sweep and win the White House, win the House, win the Senate, they are going to pack the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. They are going to eliminate the Electoral College. They're Mm -hmm. going to make Washington, D.C. a state, and they are going to eliminate voter ID in every jurisdiction in this country and mandate that every state allow ballot harvesting. That is not an agenda that's speaking to the kitchen table concerns of the average American family. No, that's an agenda where they're trying to ensconce themselves in power for a generation. And if we let them get away with it, it will take us a generation to dig out of the hole that they dig. So we have a lot of work to do. President Reagan used to say freedom's one generation away from extinction. It's not passed along in the bloodstream. It needs to be cultivated and fought for. And for most of my adult life, I thought that was a little bit of an exaggeration. I mean, we're Americans, right? Isn't this just something that's in our DNA? But I don't think anyone could could have lived through the last four or five years and not have an appreciation for how fragile freedom really is. Each generation does have this responsibility to cultivate it. Our founding fathers understood this. When they went to Philadelphia in 1787 to craft our Constitution, they came armed with the knowledge of having studied every republic in the history of mankind because they wanted to draw lessons from those experiences that they could apply here in America. And what they figured out was all those republics, there was really only one thing that they all had in common, and it was this. Every one of them had failed. And so they understood it fell to the United States of America to determine, can people really govern themselves? Can you have a society based on the idea that our rights come from God, not from the government? That we live under a rule of law, not a rule of individual men? Or was mankind forever destined to live under various forms of despotism. And they fully expected that this country would be the ones that ultimately decided the fate of freedom in the world. And when Benjamin Franklin walked out of that convention, he was asked, Dr. Franklin, what have you given us, a republic or a monarchy? He said, a republic if you can keep it. They understood you could have the best declaration of independence in the world. You can have the best constitution in the world. These things do not run on autopilot. They require citizens to be engaged and to fight for the preservation of these freedoms. So uh, our duty is to preserve what the founder of our country called the sacred fire of liberty. It's a fire that burned in Independence Hall in 1776 when 56 men pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to establish a new nation conceived in liberty. 
It's a fire that burned at a cemetery in Gettysburg when our first Republican president pledged this nation to a new birth of freedom. It's a fire that burned 79 years ago on the shores of France when a merry band of brothers stormed the beaches of Normandy, defeated the Nazis, and preserved freedom in this world. It's a fire that burned at the foot of the Brandenburg Gate at the Berlin Wall in 1987 when a Republican president said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall and defeated communism in the process. So we are, our generation now is called upon to carry this torch. It's a responsibility that we should not shy away from. It's a responsibility we should welcome. Uh, we have to stand firm for the truth, and we have to remain resolute in defense of core American and enduring principles. I believe we have it within our power to reverse American decline. And here's my pledge to you. Uh, if you help me be the Republican nominee for president in 2024, you can set your clock to January 20th, 20, uh, 2025, high noon on the west side of the Capitol, because I'll have this hand on the Bible, I'll have this hand in the air, and I will be taking the oath of office as the 47th president of these United States. No excuses. I will get it done, and we will restore the great United States of America. Thank you all. God bless the great people of North Carolina. On to victory in 24. Republican governor here. Republican president for our country. Thank you so much. All right, so that's how he closed it out at the Friday keynote address at the uh, North Carolina Republican uh, Party Convention. I uh, mentioned Ronna McDaniel. There was a piece the other day by Kurt Schlichter. He was as pro-Trump as they come. He still is. He, 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 but he prefers DeSantis now because he wants to win. Kurt is a retired colonel from the U.S. Army. He values winning, and that's why he worked so hard against Ronna McDaniel. Didn't work out. She's, again, the chair, despite a record of failure <laughs> of over, what, five election cycles or something. He says... She is a subordinate to every one of us Republican voters. She needs to explain to her bosses exactly what the hell she's doing to break her half dozen botched election losing streak. Oh, so there were six, six straight election cycles. Six straight losing elections. Now, understand, calling her a subordinate to every one of us Republican voters is not and is not intended to be an insult, but rather a statement of her relationship with us. She works for us. To the extent she does not understand this, or worse, disagrees, that would explain a lot about the party's recent unbroken track record of failure. But we are sick of failing, exhausted by defeat, and looking back longingly to the time not so long ago when we were tired of all the winning. What's the plan, Rana? All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will 
will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Kurt Schlichter writing at uh, townhall.com. Headline, What's the Plan, Rana? He says, we are sick of failing. We're exhausted by defeat. He says, we have to win in 2024. We have to. The left is not the moderate liberals of yesteryear, but a collection of hardcore, commie-curious, aspiring tyrants who want us, at best, defeated, disarmed, and disenfranchised. He says, I was against re-upping Ronna McDaniel last January. I worked for her opponent. We argued that if you lose five times in a row, you should not get a sixth chance to fail. But we lost that argument. Rana, backed behind the scenes by Donald Trump, which I personally observed at the GOP committee convention, Ronna McDaniel won. And she won fair and square. And she earned my loyalty. But it has been four months and I'm not seeing the change that she promised and which is sorely needed. So where's the audit? I guess of the, uh, the finances. Who got fired for not performing? And the biggest question, what's the game plan for 24? Maybe it's a communications issue. Maybe there is a plan. But have, have you heard about the plan? Because I haven't. And I'm paying attention. Failing to plan for victory is failing for is planning for defeat. Right? Policy is not her job. The job of the GOP chair is administrative and logistical. So, what's the plan, Rana? He talks about fraud. Right? Fine. Smallest part of the puzzle, since it really applies only when elections are very close and select blue venues. A bigger problem is unlawful rule changes and election day shenanigans, like mysteriously broken machines or ballot shortages in red areas. These require a massive legal offensive long before election day. Have we done anything like, I don't know, Gotten a couple hundred lawyers ready to be in place six months out with sufficient logistical support to fight the the steal in advance. Anything like that exists right now? What's the ballot harvesting plan? How's that going to work? Who's running it? How's it being funded? Is this thing on? <laughs> and what's what's with the cold shouldering? of dedicated Republican advocate and trainer Scott Pressler. This guy is busting his hump doing the hard, tiring work of exactly the kind that Ronna McDaniel should be organizing, and she is ignoring him, which means she's ignoring us. Once again, what's the plan? Um, got a, a couple of emails here. This is from Kelly, who says, Just my two cents. I am still waiting for DeSantis to articulate the why. Why is he running? What sets him apart from the others? Aside from not being Donald Trump, I need to understand why he's motivated to run. So, all right, well, uh, you could, all right, so you could either go and watch his speech. It's on YouTube. Watch his speech at the convention where he lays all of it out. And he, it, he goes in depth on all of the stuff that they did in Florida and, what motivates him and what leadership is about and his leadership philosophy. Um, or you can listen to the last hour of the podcast there. Go back and listen to the podcast hour number two, because I gave you the highlights uh, from his speech. Um, 
because he says he believes, and he said it right there. I thought in the in the close, like like we are, we're one generation away from losing the republic, right? Like that's that's what Reagan warned about, and he believes that to be true. And if the left wins, this is what they're going to do, and we will. It will take at least a generation if we if we could even dig out from that hole. So he's got kids. This is why he fights the woke agenda ideology and and why he's running. I, th- I thought that he spelled that out. Um, he's like, we, we got to restore sanity and normalcy to the country. We have to restore integrity to the institutions. And truth has to be the foundation upon which we build our society because if we cannot agree on simple truths, how do you get the big stuff done? So I thought he laid it all out. I mean, he's running on a on a restoration platform, um, much like Trump did, right? And that's pretty standard when you're the uh, when you're a challenger to an incumbent. But he's got to get through a primary first. So the first thing he has to do is differentiate himself from Donald Trump. And so he's essentially pitching himself as, you know, the America First policies, but with competence, right? That's that's his pitch. And you may not like the way I framed that, but like that's like he, what he's arguing is that like we did this stuff, and he ran through the whole list of how they fought all of these different things at the state level. Now, one could argue, well, that's easy for him to say and to have accomplished because you know he had a Republican legislature, he had a Republican supermajority as well, and that's a fair point. You know, he, it's much easier to get this stuff done when you have uh, a lot of Republicans to help you get it done. But that being said, we see it all the time. I mean, look at South Carolina, right, where they 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 embark upon things and it's kind of like, mm, is that really a conservative thing to do? Sometimes when you're run by one party, uh, sometimes you can lose sight of some of these things, you know, you the <laughs> some of the core principles and such. Um, yes, I don't know. I thought I, I thought he I thought he explained it pretty well. Um there was, hang on, there was another, I thought I had another, yeah. Uh, Ron DeSantis sure hit on some great talking points that I agree with. However, I heard he has Bush money behind him along with uh, Club for Growth and other neocon and unit party entities. See, once again, like these labels that you guys keep using, I'm not even sure people know what they mean anymore. I think they're just slurs that you just throw on to people like you've heard that he has uniparty money. I like, I don't even know how to begin addressing that. It's so club for growth. They are now, are they now anti-Trump? Cause they were pro Trump for a while. Club for growth, Ted Budd, right? Pat McCrory rails against them all the time. So they got, they were, they got on board with the Trump train. So, but I guess they got off it or something. I don't know. This is what I mean. I, I don't know what some of these labels mean. I know there are Bush people that are all, in on the Trump stuff on Trump operations too. So, I mean, they're both out of Florida. There are only so many Republican political operatives <laughs> that are, that are able to, and good enough, right. To do the work down there. So I don't know. Um, there was also a big fight for the uh, chairman of the North Carolina GOP. And apparently the balloting process was just a complete train wreck. Ironically. So, all right. Stick around. Brett Winterbull is coming up. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.